Little Ruth wasn't belted in. She smacked her head and started screaming. Be quiet, Bledsoe shouted. Now Josiah was crying too. He wasn't belted in either and had had quite a tumbling back there. You two kids, shut up! Josiah could see a lady get out of the pickup. She had red hair and a checkered scarf on her head. She looked like she was about to cry and she was holding her shoulder. Bledsoe stuck her head out the window and screamed a string of profanity at her. The lady didn't say a thing, but Bledsoe must have scared her. She got back in her truck and drove off without saying a word. The idiot, said Bledsoe. But you didn't stop, said Josiah. Don't you tell me how to drive, young man. And why isn't your seatbelt fastened? Ruth was still screaming, holding her bleeding head. When Officer Ben Cole came into the police station, he could hear Sergeant Mulligan's voice from clear down the hall. He went to Mulligan's door and stuck his head in. The overweight sergeant looked up from his desk. Hey, Cole, look what I caught today. Another Christian. I bet you two know each other. Ben looked at the young man Mulligan had brought in. It was Tom Harris, the young headmaster of the Good Shepherd Academy, the town's small and struggling Christian school. Hey, Tom, what gives? Child abuse, said Mulligan. Got a real case brewing here. Then you know far more about this than I do, said Tom. He looked at Ben with tear-reddened eyes. The sergeant here just, he just stood there while some welfare lady came and took away Ruth and Josiah, and, and I want to know where they are. I want to see my children. Now, ah, Harris, Ms. Bledsoe had a bona fide court order to pick up your kids in response to a complaint filed against you. Ben was just about to ask her what complaint when the police radio came to life. Bacon's Corner, Bacon's Corner, possible DOA at Fred Potter's farm. Eight crews en route. Ah, nuts. When it rains, it pours. Come on, let's move. It was getting dark when the two squad cars rumbled down the gravel driveway to the Potter's farm. The aid car was already there, its lights flashing. Fred and Cecilia Potter were standing on their front porch waiting for the police. They were strong, rugged people, but tonight they were obviously shaken. Mulligan had a short conversation with Fred and Cecilia, then led the way across a field toward the small farmhouse the Potters had rented to the victim. It's that Rowe woman, Mulligan told Ben and another officer, Leonard Jackson. Sally Rowe. I think she was one of those weird types, some kind of leftover hippie. A loser. I guess she decided to end it all. All right, there's the goat pen. Hey, spread out a bit, you guys. No hiding behind me. Two paramedics were standing outside the pen, putting away their gear. She's all yours, said one. Ben glanced around the goat pen, shining his light here and there. His eye caught a spilled pail of goat feed near the door. Hey, check that out, he said, pointing with his light. Mulligan ignored him and charged right across the goat pen and into the weathered tin-roofed shed, leaving a big manured footprint in the middle of the spilled feed. Then he stopped short. He'd found something. There she was, the dead woman. Ben couldn't see her face. Mulligan was in the way, but she was dressed all in black and lay on her back in the straw, twisted and limp as if someone had wadded her up and thrown her there. Ben found a plaid shirt next to the body. It was stained with blood. Hey, look at this. Mulligan spun around. Cole, get back to the potters and get a statement from them. But take a look at this. Mulligan didn't take it. He grabbed it. Go on, get over there. Leonard was shining his light on the woman's face. And now Ben caught a glimpse of it. She was young and beautiful, 
but violently dead. The expression on the face was blank, the shoulder-length black hair a tangled shadow on the straw. The bloodied shirt, the spilled feed, the obvious violence. This was no suicide. Just outside Claytonville, Sally turned off the highway onto an obscure, overgrown, and rutted road that meandered deep into the forest. Maybe somewhere in here she could find a good spot to abandon the truck. She finally found what looked like a turnaround or dead end. She cranked the wheel hard and let the pickup push its way forward, plowing through the brush and flattening the weeds that rose in front of the headlights. Far enough, she turned off the lights and shut down the engine. Then she sat there, her elbows on the wheel and her head in her hands, the same thoughts repeating in her tortured mind. How did they find me?